0: Hey, everybody, we are getting towards the end of December, but we are giving you a Christmas present early because this will be actually maybe only the second interview um, from mm-hmm. this person, but it is pr- going to be one of the most important ones. And so we're going to deviate from our normal way that we do things because this one is way too important. So, hey, guys, welcome back. It's Game of Crimes. I'm um, Morgan, accompanied by my partner in crime. Murph's here with you. Yeah, yeah. And head on over to that Apple Spotify, hit the five stars. You're you're gonna wanna do that for this episode because this is it's gonna tug at your heartstrings, it's gonna make you mad, it's gonna make you sad, and it's gonna make you grateful that people like this exist in the world. So not um, kidding. Yeah. And just yes. head on over there, head on over to our website, Uh, That's where we have uh, you know, a lot of our information, including our books, especially from the one we just did last week, uh, Breaking Blue by, by Sean Sticks Larkin. So that information will be there. Follow us on that thing they call social media, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But join us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton of content there. We have more content there than we have on our free podcast. Our Q&A came out. We've got You Can't Make This Shit Up uh, that's coming out. Um, our NarcoMeter review. Um, and, you know, we we do 911, what's your emergency? Uh, so a lot of good stuff there. So join us there, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. But you also got to join our fan group, Game of Crimes fans, run by our favorite mafia queen, Sandy Salvato, rules with the iron fist and the velvet glove. Head on over there because there'll be special things posted. We We get involved in discussions. We have all sorts of things. But the one thing we don't have this week, and we're not going to do, because this is not an episode where we're going to have this—we this, we we have a couple laps, but this is, this is a very serious uh, episode, Murph. So uh, let's kind of set this up, because you and I both had the honor of meeting him and his partner, but even though there's five people involved in this, um, a lot of people are going to recognize the two people. So we met them down at the Southern California Gang Conference.
1: We did, and, and we're talking about uh, Mike Coll- Collazzo and rex engelbert with the nashville metropolitan police department and you're all familiar with the covenant school shooting that happened a couple years ago there in nashville the uh, response by the nashville police was quick immediate and aggressive and it's successful um we still had six victims and that's why we're doing away with the, any hilarity on today's show uh you you will hear us talking with mike here and a couple little funny things come up but uh what Morgan said, have some tissues ready because this did get a little bit emotional for Mike talking about it. This is like Morgan said, this is the only second time that he's given an interview on this and and Nashville Police Department authorized it. Um so we're not going behind anybody's backs. The only reason we didn't have Mike, uh, Rex on here with him is because he was on his honeymoon. <laughs> so Rex, if you hear this, congratulations, brother. Um
0: but we think it's narrow-minded you didn't join your partner on the podcast but we're going to let it slide this time
1: yeah i mean you could have called in from the honeymoon suite or in. wherever yeah. you are but uh maybe next time but uh this is you know, i grew up just south of nashville murfreesboro till i was going into high school and and oh my gosh that we've seen so many shootings going on around the country but we've seen we've seen excellent responses from agencies law enforcement agencies and we've seen very questionable responses so, if you're wondering what the difference is, what you're getting ready to hear is the way it should be done. Uh, hats off to to uh, to Mike, to Rex, to the whole team that responded that day, to the envir- entire Nashville Police Department. You're going to hear how Mike doesn't take credit; he wants to give credit. I mean, he's he gives high praise to the the trainers with the uh, Nashville Police Academy. He gives high praise to the command staff and the chief there at Nashville. High praise to the residents of Davidson, uh, yeah, Davidson County, Tennessee, where Nashville is. It's the metropolitan government there. Um, just the response that he got. So, uh, rather than us telling you what he's talking about, why don't we get started
0: on this one more? What do you say? Yeah, and actually, I've just one quick question. It was actually March of this year, uh, March of 2023. So oh. we're. It seems like it's so much farther back. No, because we, I mean, we've, we've talked to these guys, like I said, it does seem like that. And, but again, it's like, it's what's amazing about it. It's normally you have to wait years to get a story like this out, but they were able to, um, allow them to talk and you're going to see, there's a couple ground rules we have to set, which is cannot talk about the manifesto. And don't, so people don't get wrapped around the axle. That's, that's, uh, uh, Nashville PD's Metro PD's rules that says, Mm -hmm. Hey, because they're still on the job, they're still active duty, so they can't, and plus that it's involved in ongoing litigation. When it's released publicly, that's one thing, but, but really it's not relevant for the story of today, because the story of today is about uh, a collection of officers who responded to the call you, nobody ever wants to hear about, nobody wants to respond to, but you train for it. And uh, let me tell you what, you're going to be proud to know the, the training they did and what they did.
1: Yeah, and, and um as you've heard us do in the past, we and you'll hear Mike okay's this, we've dedicated today's episode to the six victims from this shooting. Uh Evelyn, Haley, William, Cynthia, Catherine, and Mike. Um so sorry f- for what happened to you. Three of you were nine years old. Uh, just if I keep talking about this, I'm gonna get emotional again. But yeah, uh, our our thoughts and prayers are with the families. Um I just wish I had words of encouragement for you
0: yeah well let's uh, let's dispense with our regular thing too because this is not something we want to make light of. so hey guys, uh, everybody, uh, hang on. here comes the interview with Michael Coyazo, and then stay tuned afterwards for our debrief. We'll, we'll talk about a couple things there, but uh, let's get into it now. When I say this next guest, it's a high honor to have him on. We, we we're not kidding on this one. We truly mean that. We, we met him and his one of his partners um, when we we're at the Southern California Gang Conference, and uh, Murph. I would say that uh, out of that, this was. I mean, this has been one of the episodes I've been looking forward to for a long time.
1: Absolutely, and this is uh, you're, you're all familiar with the Covenant School shooting in Nashville. Um, it's hell it was the the body cam video really opened up what really took place up there once you guys got upstairs but uh shout out to our buddy mel sosa and and santi out in san diego for making the introduction you, i love it you're smiling when you say that mike but ladies and gentlemen it's our honor to have uh mike Cuyazo with metro pd out of nashville tennessee with us today mike welcome brother
2: hey thanks for having me Yeah, I know you said, uh, I was smiling when you said Mel. Mel's probably one of the greatest dudes I've
0: ever met.
1: He is. He's fantastic, isn't Yeah. Uh,
0: And that was fun, too, being out there, too, because getting to meet you guys. And, well, first of all, we got to let everybody know, first of all, it's Detective, Murph. Detective, like I was. (laughs) Detective. I was going to let it slide.
1: Mike could be Detective. You were defective.
0: Yeah, well, Uh, the the defective detective, it still, it was, uh, remember, I can tell you some of the guys who couldn't make it onto DEA. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. or well, did hey, make it on the DA that couldn't make
0: it. Anyway, we digress. But Hey, first of all, congratulations, because Mike, you just had another addition to the family. <laughs> yeah.
2: Just yeah. a couple of days ago, had a little baby girl on brother. the 27.
0: Excellent. Well, congrats. And so that was, uh, so when did your wife get pregnant then? Nine months earlier was about. <laughs> uh, well, I would say February-ish. Yeah. So, um, I you, think
1: it's getting a little too personal here. Come on.
0: No, oh, no, no. What I'm saying is th- no, th- what I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff going on because that goes into the story because the, what we're going to talk about happened on March 27th, 2023. Um, and then your other partner that was involved that actually one of the people that, that was involved in shooting, um, uh, Rex, he's actually took PTO or he's off because he just got married, right? Correct.
1: So congratulations to Rex too, man. You guys are just, you, you two got it going on out
2: there. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> say life, um, Life hits you when it hits you, and it it goes.
1: Well, yeah. I I just want to say also that uh, at the beginning of this interview that uh, Nashville PD approved uh, Mike and Rex to be on. Of course, we're not going to call Rex on his honeymoon, so (laughs) have a good time there, brother. But it was with the understanding that we would not discuss the manifesto or comments made by the shooter. And that bitch, we're not even going to mention her name, Mike, just so you know. She deserves no recognition. This is all about you. Rex and what you guys did and your story. So I appreciate that. Uh, so for all our listeners out there, when you're wondering why we didn't ask about the manifesto, now you know.
0: Well, and and look, rules are rules. And um you folks don't have to like the rules, but look, Rex, uh, Mike and the, and your other partners, uh, everybody else, there was five of you, I think, or six of you, five, five of you, five. You know, look—they're still on the job, so we're not going to put anybody's job in danger by trying. And we're not muckraking journalists either. This isn't about doing gotcha stuff. So we're going to follow the rules. But I will ask you though—I know you guys have been cleared, but is this your first podcast interview you've done?
2: No. So I actually did one uh, a little while ago f- with uh, one of my good buddies, Zach. He—he uh, he runs Veteran with a Sign. And he just started a podcast called After Action, uh, so we went and spoke with him for a little while. And um, his is uh, push towards uh, mental health and ensuring that you know everyone's getting taken care of on the law enforcement side, along with uh, the any first responder at that, but also the military in general. He runs a great program
0: and a great organization.
1: And, and towards the end of the interview today, we want to touch on wellness also
0: and what, yeah, 100%. what
1: Metro PD has set up. Yeah.
0: For because our, our previous episode uh, that just came out, actually, Michael Martinez, uh, this dude, San Diego PD, in the first 18 months he was on the job, he was involved in three shootings, ended up being in total, involved in a total of four within two years, three of them fatal. And he, I mean, it, that was his thing. He had a big issue with how to handle it, the drinking and a lot of the stuff that went on it. So wellness is a huge issue. But as we do with everybody, Detective Michael Coyazo. This thing of ours, thing of ours. How did you get started in this thing of ours? Because I know at one time, and I'm going to salute you too. my son-in-law was a Marine formerly on active duty. So you ended up in the military before the police. So how did that journey happen for you? <laughs>
2: uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was a spur of the moment, but it was just me. And, uh, did it
0: involve alcohol?
2: <laughs> no, it was just me and a bunch of friends in high school. Uh, we were close knit together, just a group of us. And as time kind of went on towards the end of graduation, we were, we were kind of getting to that point where we we're trying to figure out what we wanted, like how we wanted to start our lives. We didn't know what we wanted to do yet, but we knew we wanted to do what we could or go where we needed to go. And at that point, we all kind of just got together and was like, hey, let's go join the Marine Corps. Um, I had gotten, I had actually gotten a scholarship to go to college uh, through uh, the state. With the lottery scholarship that they had at the time, with my uh, GPA and along with my ACT score. So I was kind of torn at the moment with uh, my buddies who wanted to all go active duty or do this and that when uh, joining the Marine Corps. And I spoke with my family, and we kind of decided at that point with me having the possibility of going to college, let's let's do the reserve route. So I know you said uh, you had a family member that, was, that had joined the Marine Corps active duty. I actually ultimately went into the Marine Corps and enlisted as a reservist just so I could also go to college.
0: Well, still, you served our country. By the way, uh, when you talk about your GPA and your ACT, my, my guess is you were quite overqualified to be in the Marines. So why did you pick <laughs> the Marines, man?
2: <laughs> I mean, I think we all know why, because they're probably the, I'm not going to say probably, I mean, they are the best branch out there.
0: Uh, they, they, they challenge you and I wanted to challenge. Well, that no doubt about that, man. They challenge you. So what year did you get out of high school then? I graduated 2009. So you get out and then, um, so you get out of high school. So do you go right to the reserves and go to basic before you get, end up going to college? No. So what I ended
2: up doing was, so after graduation, I had already been accepted to college. Um, I enlisted into the Marine Corps. Completed my or did the application, swore that I'd go, uh went through the MEPS program. After MEPS, uh immediately was sent to boot camp. Uh, did boot camp after boot camp and graduation, uh, you know, you earn your title, you become a Marine. Um, everyone else went off to whatever trade school they were going for their MOS. Uh, in my circumstance, I returned home and started my first semester of college. So started actually my first year because you, uh, you do your first two semesters. And then the following summer, I then was to go back to my school training uh, through the Marine Corps. At that same time, I'm still going to my, the reserve unit, checking in, going to drill every month while still going to college. And then I just split my training up so I could do both.
1: Did you grow up in Nashville? I did. And hey, where'd you go to college at?
2: So I, I started off at uh, Motlow State. And then transferred over to Mid- uh, Middle Tennessee State University. And after, <laughs> after all that, I uh, ended up, what we'll get to later, is joining the police department and going on my career there.
1: Got it. I grew up in uh, down in Murfreesboro.
2: That's what I heard.
1: Yeah, so MTSU was MTSC. That's how long ago it was. Oh,
2: it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's grown dramatically down here.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, my sister and her family, well, my sister passed away earlier this year, but they were still living in Murfreesboro.
2: Okay, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, Murfreesboro's changed dramatically over 10, 15 years.
1: Oh, yeah. It was a small town. It was, when we lived there, I-24 wasn't even there. You had to come up, uh, was it Murfreesboro Highway, Murfreesboro Pike, whatever they call that road?
0: Was that by Covered Wagon, Murph? Did you, take a, <laughs> did you hook up no, the fuels? No, we took our horses. And, uh,
1: we used the horses back then. Horses? Yeah. Okay, good. And yeah. bicycles were pretty popular. It just took you a while to
2: get there. <clears throat> <laughs> uh, I, was say, I don't think I'd ride a bicycle down Mercer Pike right now.
0: Oh heck no! <laughs> heck no! Hey, well, look, a couple things. So, one, what did you study in college? And number two, when you went for your uh, advanced training um, in the army, we called it AIT. But um, what, so, what would you study in college? And then, what would you go through? What was your advanced training for the Marines? What were you going to get a specialty? And what was your MOS? Yeah. So. I kind of had
2: an idea what I wanted to do uh, outside of the Marine Corps uh, after graduating from boot camp. I uh, wanted to k- kind of stay in that realm of things. So kind of knew I would go into law enforcement. I just didn't know what agency or where at. So I, when I went to college, you know, the first couple of years, you have, to, you have to get your basics done and then you can start going into your major. Uh, but I ultimately decided that I was going to go for my criminal justice degree. So that was already set in stone. Um, and then when I enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, I I went in knowing that I was just going to go ahead and be in the infantry. I mean, it was the well, backbone. Sp- it, it, yeah, it's the backbone of the Marine Corps. So I was like, that, that's what we're going to go with.
0: Hey, what, where you were at, though, since you were going to college, did you consider joining uh, ROTC? Did they have that available at your college? I, I didn't.
2: I kind of okay. wanted to write my own path and do my own thing. Okay. I was a little hard-headed.
0: No kidding. Okay. <laughs> go figure. Uh, well, there you go. Then you are perfectly qualified to be a Marine then. So I just have to ask you one question. When you play with your other kid, uh, do you t- tend to uh, dominate uh, the use of the crayons and stuff?
2: Okay. First off, Ooh.
0: Ooh. first off, that's at dinner
2: time. Um, <laughs> no, no. I got I to got – oh, man. All right. Keep them coming.
1: Can you can you can give him the one finger salute anytime. I do multiple times. I heard,
2: I heard the army one. I'm I'm just trying to be nice right now. I've got a lot of friends that are in the army. I don't want to
0: I don't want to be mean. Okay, well, <laughs> well we'll we'll wait for the army navy game. We'll see what happens. There but, we go. There we go. All right. Hey. Well, but so um but so uh did you complete then all four years. Did you do it in four years then? No. So
2: you know it's probably one of my biggest regrets is I ultimately stopped um, after about year three. I ended up getting the offer for uh, the police department. And I said, hey, let's just jump on it right now. Uh, I haven't gone back. Uh, again, it's one of those biggest, one of the biggest regrets I've had in my life. I had a couple of them, but not finishing up my degree is one of them. I'll go back one day, but family comes first right now. Um, you know, like we said earlier, just had another little girl. So that that's my priority. Maybe when they get a little bit older and time kind of Levels out. I can I can go back and finish it. I'm close to it. I'll get there. Yeah. I'm stubborn. Well,
1: actually, I, th- I think you did finish college because I'm reading an article right now where uh, you and your buddies were.
2: Uh, oh yeah, named my professor.
1: Honorary professors <laughs> of public safety by MTSU.
2: I mean, I I can I'll, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll submit that to the department and see if they'll recognize that for a percentage <laughs> increase. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. We'll I put it on my uh, signature on my email. Will that count?
0: Absolutely. I put put Dr. Michael Koyazo on there. You know, Dr. C. So, um, now, did you apply anywhere else other than Nashville? I did. Uh, Well, uh, let me backtrack on that.
2: I didn't actually apply, but I did go to uh, a couple of the local departments in the Middle Tennessee area. Um, Laverne, Smyrna, Murfreesboro. I kind of went and reached out to all of them, but Nashville is the one that stuck out. Why? Big city small town atmosphere um, squared away here here's my jab at the army um, in the Marine Corps, you know we want to look presentable, we want to look nice, our uniforms are the best, our training's the best we we get treated the best um, <laughs> but we're we're the backbone of you know the the armed forces, and when I went and did the whole Walk through with the police department there and seeing everything, they're the ones that stuck out like that to me. When you looked at all the other agencies, and there's nothing wrong with any other, other agencies, they're all great. We work with them every day now. Um, every time I'm out there, there's something going on in Mount Juliet or Hendersonville where we're working in conjunction with each other. It was just Nashville stuck out to me just like the Marine Corps stuck out to me. Um, you'd see the officers dressed really nice. You'd see with their shiny shoes on. And I was like, this was still in my mindset coming from the Marine Corps, and it looked—it was the more professional organization to me, and that's what drew me to them.
1: You know, and for our listeners here, we only record audio, but we actually do these interviews on video, so we can see each other. And you should have seen Morgan squirming in his chair <laughs> when Mike was talking about the army I could
0: think of—this sounded like Ricky Bobby. Yeah, you know, I wake up in the morning and I piss excellent. I mean, I told you, I told you I was going to jab it. Yeah, that's okay, man. Hey, we can take it. Look, if you can't take it, you're in the wrong job, (laughs) right? But I got to tell you, Nashville's a favorite place of mine, too. I got a buddy of mine that actually is a guitarist for Carrie Underwood. So he lives there and works there, records there. I had the chance to uh, play. A friend of mine, her husband, was uh, a professional musician. We did some jam sessions all up and down.
1: Well, you need uh, to call that young man and tell him, we won't carry on here. she got nothing to do with law enforcement, but man... (laughs) I'd love to have her on a podcast.
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can pull that, but I'll ask him, uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see. So, uh, but no, so uh, now let's talk to about Nashville Metro, because uh, that's kind of a, your, your department, it's not like a, it's not like a city PD quite, right? So what does Nashville Metro mean? How far out do you cover? Talk about the county and stuff. How big is the department? So
2: I don't want to give you the exact year. Well before my time, Uh, it used to be Nashville PD, started off with just the city, got together, votes happened. Uh, Ultimately, they decided as a a county that they wanted to be a metropolitan. So it became a metropolitan Nashville Police Department and and not just covering Nashville, but covering all of Davidson County. So we do have the Davidson County Sheriff's Department, and then we have the Metro Nashville Police Department. Davidson County Sheriff's Department primarily focuses on the jails. In uh, the civil aspects of things that occur in our county as we handle the criminal side. Um, and again, we take care of the whole county. You have Berry Hill, you have Bellmead, Nashville itself, um, all Do within this one county.
0: Towns, any of these smaller jurisdictions have their own PDs?
2: Uh, yeah, so Berry Hill still has a, a small agency. So does Bell Mead. Vanderbilt's also uh, within our area with the university, they have their own police department and so is TSU, uh, Tennessee State University. They have their own small uh, agency or campus PD within there that uh, also falls in Davidson County. But with us, I mean, I think our department with the size of our county and how many people have... Moved to our city. We're we're understaffed on it, but I'll tell you, we're we're sitting at probably around anywhere between twelve hundred to fifteen hundred officers.
0: Wow! And I know the housing prices are going through the roof out there. I mean, you're even talking to getting out by Franklin. You <laughs> yeah, know, stuff is growing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I remember when I
2: first, when I came on the department, it hadn't started yet. But over the years, I mean, it, you can't find a house in, near downtown Nashville for anything less than five hundred thousand. So, what's mm-hmm. driving the growth? It's, a, it's an amazing city. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm not trying to. wake <laughs> up in the morning and piss <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every time, every time you see something that's going on, it, it's somehow related to Nashville, in my opinion, like country music. We're the, we, we're the honey hole for country music. Everybody comes to Nashville for, to write their songs, to produce their songs, and to perform their songs. We have what? Grand Ole Opry. We have The Ryman. Bridgestone, Titan Stadium, I mean, I can't tell you how many artists have came down here and it, it, they're amazing experiences. So it's just a booming city. And I kind of said it earlier, but with Nashville, it is a big city, but it's a, it, it has that small town atmosphere where everybody knows everybody and everybody's in everybody's business, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like when, when the incident occurred, um, I can't tell you how many people from the Nashville community that I've... I've idolized and I've looked up to, and I've grown up, you know, just watching on TV reached out because they knew somebody that was related to the school or they knew somebody that was involved somehow, some way. And that just showed that big city, small town atmosphere.
1: Well, it shows the community coming in to support the first responders as well. And and that's, you know, that's getting more and more common after you know all the, the defund the police bullshit that went on before. So it's reassuring. And, On top of everything else, Middle Tennessee is just a great place to live.
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, it's not East Tennessee. Don't get me wrong. I love Knoxville. Uh, That's where I want to end up at eventually. But Middle Tennessee is number two.
1: You're not a UT fan, are you?
2: Yeah, 100%. (laughs)
1: How'd <laughs> I know that?
0: Yeah. I, I tell you one thing I love, too, about Nashville, too. You go down the strip there and, and hit all those bars and listen to those bands playing. Uh, I learned this a long time ago, but none of those bands get paid. They all work for tips. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, the it's like pro golfers. They say the only difference between amateurs and pros sometimes is like maybe a stroke and a half. Yeah. The only difference between some of these bands and these the talent and being professionals, I think, is just being heard by the right people. There is so much amazing music. You know, up and down the strip, and and they're they're so good at it too.
1: I'm telling you what, though, I was in Nashville a couple months ago for a law enforcement conference, and they can need to just bring a street sweeper down Broadway and scrub that place because it Literally stinks.
2: I'll tell you that our our public work guys, I I, I work with a lot of them. Whenever we, uh, because I'm so I'm also on our search and rescue, which incorporates some of our public work folks that come out with us. I mean, those guys, they are down after every event. They're down there busting their butt. It, it, it's just it's it's crowded. There's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of people coming and going, and it's hard to keep on top of. But those dudes work their butt off. Yeah, there's a lot of peeing going on. on the street <sighs> <too. laughs> we try to enforce that. We try to stop it.
0: <laughs> well, so let, let's talk about your journey now into law enforcement. So you get the offer from uh, Nashville Metro. When did you start? 2013. And uh so tell us about your academy. You know, getting on. How long did it take you to get on? And what you know? What's your academy like? So I got lucky.
2: Um, Again, when I said when I was going to college and I hadn't finished it, I got the offer. I was, uh, while I was in the Marine Corps uh, in the reserve side, I had jumped on some orders and things, all the stars were starting to line up just right. Uh, and when I got a phone call in 2013 saying that I had been accepted, I was coming off some active duty orders with the Marine Corps um, and I just ultimately decided, hey, Time, it, it just lined up too good. I, I've got to, I got to go. Um, I, I can go back to school at a later time. I don't know when this opportunity will get, come back to join the police department. So I took it. Started at the academy in October of 2013, just right after I got off uh, the active duty orders. And I think our academy was a couple months long. Um, it is a stress inoculation, which I, I'm, I'm a fan of. had coming from the boot camp Marine Corps. That is a uh, very stressed inoculation. So I was... Uh, it, you were used to it. Yeah, it wasn't a big shell shock like it was for some folks that were with us, but it was well
0: needed. So you said you came off active duty orders. What were you doing during that
2: time? I jumped on some orders locally uh, just to assist our uh, our active duty component that was atti- uh, so that was attached to our unit. Just helping them out with administrative things that were going on at the time. It was just for a couple months.
0: Were some of them deployed?
2: Uh, no. No, I did not deploy.
0: Yeah, but I mean, but the other elements you said of the active duty unit, did you have uh, some folks out of the unit uh, downrange or overseas? Not not at that
2: time, no. This was just, just uh, could have been from any reasons, um, but it was just to fill some vacancies that they had uh, at that moment in time just to help out the needs.
1: You know, it's a friend of ours that's been on the show here before, Kevin Black's police officer, 30-year veteran police officer in North Carolina, Real stud. We had him here on the show. Uh, I used to work with him when I was stationed in North Carolina with DEA, and he just retired after thirty years service. and And he put out hell. He put out his own manifesto today on Facebook. I read through it. it looked like War and Peace, but um, he says in there he's he's thanking all the people that you know worked with him during his career and and, and all that. And, <laughs> and he said, for those of you that I hurt your feelings, grow a pair or go get another job. <laughs> you gotta love the guy,
0: and and this is Kevin, the guy who shit his pants and didn't tell anybody about it for six months. It there you go. He, <laughs> yeah.
1: But so we told we told all the geos, all the game of crimes listers. He told them actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, we'll have to tell you that story all too right. again. I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, we got to figure that one out. Uh, well, prepared. they came from an arrest. He crapped his pants, and he didn't know what to do, so he so he hid the pants, uh, or he hid something anyway, but. People come in. God, this smells! And he blamed it on the prisoner. And okay. only did he, up, you know, six <laughs> months
2: later, I think it was me. He really, he did. He he, it. he just finally told everybody, or you know, uh, or it came
0: yeah, out yeah. on his podcast. Eventually, eventually, he fasted
1: in front of listeners. It's episode. <laughs> he finally 86, told the truth on it.
0: Yeah. Which episode was it again, Murph? <laughs>
1: episode eighty six. If you want to go back and listen to Kevin Black, yeah, it's <laughs> hilarious.
0: That's Kevin's hilarious. got a great story. He was adopted and his adoptive parents didn't want to give him up, but they had to. And uh, they were only a county over. So it's a great story. But anyway, let's talk about you because that's why we have you on here. So um, you go through okay. the academy. So how does that work when you get out? I mean, you're obviously you're going through training. You got your FTOs phase. So you're training. So um, wh- wh- what part of the city are you in? Are you guys rotating through the whole, you know, the metro area?
2: Yeah. So I, our academy being a couple months long, uh, stress inoculation, our academy is also different than the state academy. So Metro being Metro uh, and a huge agency, we have our own police academy uh, internally. Everywhere, everywhere else in the state uh, tends to send folks to the state academy. The state academy, you stay the night. It's kind of just like any military uh, boot camp where you stay the night, you can go home on the weekends though with them, and then you come back on that following Monday. For us, We went home every night. Um, That was its own stress factor, I can tell you, because you go home and you just think about it like, is this worth it? You know, I got homework I got to do. I got to get my uniform ready. You know, I got home at seven, eight o'clock at night. I got to turn around and wake up, be back at five, six in the morning, 24. (laughs) Traffic's horrible. Doesn't matter what time of day it is. So I got to add an extra couple hours to get into work. Uh, So, you know, those are big factors, but push through, graduated. Uh, once I graduated, I'll, I went through our FTO phase. Um, that's a couple months in of itself. We did four rotations at the time. Uh, each rotation was on a different shift at a different precinct with a different FTO. So you got a hodgepodge of training and experience through your FTOs brought out to you for you to just to pick little pieces from and develop yourself or develop what type of officer you want to be or what you're going to uh, come out to be eventually. Um, So I started off my very first rotation in our West Precinct, which covered most of West Nashville, uh, Charlotte Pike, White Bridge, and that was on Day Shift, uh, which is a different breeding of of itself. My second rotation, I was moved out to our East Precinct, which covered East Nashville, you know, Five Points, uh, Gallatin Road. Uh, Douglas, South Douglas, Main Street, um, did that one on our afternoon shift, which when I say day shift and afternoon shift, day shift at that time was like 6.30 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon. Afternoon shift was 2.30 to 11. And then uh, after that rotation, I moved to our detail, our night shift, uh, downtown in our central precinct, which covers Broadway, Demumbrian, <laughs> um, the city life or the party life down there. Did that one on midnight, and midnight was 11 o'clock at night to about 6.30 in the morning, so you had constant rotation on those three shifts. Um, After that shift, or after that rotation with that FTO, I was moved out to our Hermitage precinct, which covers our Hermitage area in Nashville. Um, That's more kind of like on the southern side near where like the airport is, but that was also on our day shift. So I started on our day shift, went to afternoons, afternoons to midnights, midnights back to day shift where I got cut loose. Um, around the time that I got cut loose from our FTO program and was out on my own as a brand new officer, we opened up our eighth precinct being the Midtown Hills precinct, just like anything else, um, the needs of the department. So I thought I was going to be a taken care of, brand new officer. Had just been cut loose on my own, working day shift, nice nice precinct. Had had the golden ticket at the moment until I got that phone call and saying, hey, the police department needs you at Midtown, needs you on the uh, afternoon shift. So that's where you're going when the precinct opens. See you, bye. <laughs> over. Now, were you, were you married at the time? I was, yes.
0: Okay. Any kids at that point?
2: Uh, no, sir. No. So, uh Yeah. Well, me and my wife, well, we got together. Oh, wow. It's been a while. It's been a long. Now that you got me doing some math on this.
0: I'm sorry. It's for Marines. I get that. No, yeah. I got it really you. My hands, I, I, I,
2: I graduated school. No, um, So me and my wife got together, what, 2010? So this was, what, 2013? So we've been together for about four or five years at that point. Um, but yeah, so she, she stuck through all that with me and, and that's tough on her too. The shift change, the days change in, cause every time I left from a different FTO, I was put on their schedule. So you might have an FTO that had Friday, Saturday off, you might have an FTO that had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It, it just changed. Um, but we worked through it. We pushed through all that. I got cut loose, uh, moved from day shift to evening shift. I was the brand new the brand new officer, so I didn't get the best days off. Um, did that for a couple of years, but uh, again, like anything else, you put your time in, you work, you show your et- how your work ethic. Um, it shows your supervisors see that. They show like, hey, these officers actually want to work. These officers are you know putting that time in, and and you get things in return. I got I got good days off eventually. I got a take home car that um, just for commuting purposes to help out. I mean that's a huge that was a huge uh, boost for us at the time. Um, having a take yeah, home car.
0: Have to, or is everybody assigned a car now, or is it still? Uh, We're, getting uh,
2: certain- We're getting there. We're getting there. I want to yeah. say I, I would I would venture to say right now ninety five percent of officers on our department have a vehicle that is assigned to them, whether they take it home or they park it at the nearest precinct to help their commute.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you what that that makes a huge difference too because uh, the metro area. I mean, that's the, like you say between traffic and stuff. If you've got to go from one side to the other, I mean, <laughs> no such thing as a short drive. You know, during rush hour, right? Oh no, not at all. So let let's talk about um, going through this now. So now, when you have when you were on shifts, do you bid for shifts or how do how do those things get assigned? Seniority, seniority, seniority. Yep. So.
2: At that, again, when I got cut loose, it was, hey, no, this is what the department needs. Because we were just opening up a brand new precinct. We were expanding. And and we're about to expand again. We're about to get a ninth precinct uh, just because of how huge Nashville's becoming. W- we need another precinct uh, with more officers to help take care of the community. But um, at the time... I'd been just cut loose every, I wanted to say it was every two years we did a rotation bid where depending on where you're at, whether you're in patrol, if you were on a flex team or a crime suppression unit or uh, precinct investigations, or if you were outside of what we call our community service bureau, if you were within our, in- or our uh, investigative service bureau, you could bid for where you wanted to go. If you wanted to leave our investigations and you wanted to go back to the streets and be in patrol, you would come back or you could apply to come back or not apply. You could just say, hey, I want to go back into the bid and you would bid what precinct, what zone or what uh, what precinct and what shift you wanted to be on. And that was all based off of seniority. And they broke it all they always break it down uh lieutenants bid amongst themselves our sergeants bid amongst themselves the fto's bid amongst themselves and then your uh, officers bid amongst themselves uh, and it's all allocated, you know, math. I can't do math. Uh, I think I just showed that with trying to figure out how long me and my wife have been together.
0: Yeah, um, well, you said you were married for three years. <laughs> Met her in 2010, you know, got married and graduated in 2013. <laughs> so I think it was four or five years. Anyway. Yeah.
2: Hey, it works, right? No, um, they, you know, the computer does that, right? Our, our analysts do that for us. Uh, they, they, they figure out, Hey, calls for service. How many officers are needed at this precinct? How many off- How many zones are needed? How many officers need to fill those zones? And that that those are what allocate that amount of resources going to that precinct at the time.
1: Um, the analysts are the analysts are the brave, the brains. And yes, the, the officers are the brawn.
2: Yes, every good it. case that is out there, and correct me if I'm wrong, y'all know this. Every good case has a really good case detective, but has an analyst behind that case detective that handles
0: it.
1: But that's, that's the best team you can ever get. If you can get those two that get along, that's the best investigative team you ever have.
0: Well, and I was wishing back back in the day, because I started in 82, uh, there was no, I mean, I was I was on midnights for six months because there was, you know, you were just the new guy. But I thought life would be better going to the state patrol. But um, at that time, it was six days on, six, three off, six on, three off, seven on, three off. But you worked the first three days were nights. So, I would go to work at Friday night at a 6 six p.m., work till 3 a.m. Saturday, the same thing. Sunday, work 4 to 1. I'd be in Monday at 9 a.m., work till 5. Uh, Tuesday, work from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. And Wednesday, I'd go to work at 0, 0500, get off at 2 p.m. And that, I mean, you're going to bed or, you know, you're going to work about the same time you're going to bed just six days ago. And that screwed with sleep. That's one thing I think law enforcement has finally learned. The, may, some of the people may not like the shifts, but if you can get used to it, the, even rotating every thirty days was tough. I remember on the police department, you'd rotate every thirty days. You know, on days, then you go to midnights, then you go to afternoons. It's like, man, this just screws with your sleep.
2: Oh, we got we got lucky. We're uh, right now. We I'm still on 5.8s. We've started a transition into the tens, where we'll do four tens. But there's no rotation, there's no changing of days off within a month period, and I like it. I like having that set schedule that you know, hey, I'm working five days this week, and my days off are Saturday, Sunday, and that's it. I'm not changing it every two months or every, every month. I get confused.
0: Well and especially when you start talking about child care and if the wife's working or yeah, you know, and it's tr- just trying to arrange when my wife was working at the police department, we'd be working. I mean, I'd be going to work, she'd be coming home. We'd have to, you know fill the gap for a while. I mean, it's it's a tough people don't realize it, in a lot of professions when you got shift work, childcare uh, child care is one of the biggest issues <laughs> of being married. Oh my God, if we can get just some stabilization need something stable because I certainly You're, wasn't.
1: The biggest challenge in your marriage is your wife putting up your crap every day, man. What I know, man. <laughs> that, man know,
0: it's every every marriage. <laughs> that's why years. she had,
1: lets me play with him here on the on the, the podcast. <laughs> that's just, just so she gets, gets her times. own time.
0: That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's that's right. Right. So I get me time, go out to the she shed and do all that <laughs> good stuff. Yep. There you go. All right. All right. So let, let's start kind of working into this. So uh, how long are you on patrol before you get your next assignment, before you can move up into something different?
2: Yeah, so I did... I did our patrol for just a couple of years, um, was so, not selected, but asked to go to our flex team, uh, at and that, what
0: is a flex team?
2: so our flex team back then was a proactive unit within the precinct within the shift. So every precinct had three flex teams, A, B, and C. I was asked to go to our C flex team, which was on nights. Um, and we were
0: That's still a uniform job, yeah, still,
2: that- still uniformed, uh, but we were in unmarked Impalas, unmarked um, Tauruses, and we were kind of just at at the rim of the department, at the precinct. Whatever needs the precinct had, we we would go address. If it was hey, we saw a spike of deaths from motor vehicle, or we've seen a spike of robberies occurring within our precinct, they'd ask us to go out there and try to enforce uh, any any violations that could, we could come about and try to find who is committing these crimes, but in a uniform capacity. So I did I did that for a couple of years.
0: And I think when we were in San Diego talking about this, wasn't one of the details, or maybe that was Rex, but going down to Broadway and hitting all the bars on the Flex team? or uh...
2: Yeah, so that would have been, with Rex, that would have been, he, he was uh, one of our bike officers downtown. Okay. Um, and that was what he primarily focused on uh, when he was in Central.
0: Okay. I just wanted to keep it clear. So you're working on the Flex team, so you guys are kind of like proactive. So was that considered a promotion or just an assignment? Just, just a,
2: a, a lateral move. OK. And that's where it's, it's crazy. So in patrol, you in our department, you're by yourself. We don't double up cars. We're, we're single officers in a vehicle. Now, majority of our calls require two officers to respond. Um, but when you transition, when I transition over to the flex team, that, that's where that team atmosphere came about or came about where it was a small group. It was what well, I think at that time it was six of us. So you had six officers and one sergeant, and that was your team. And we worked together. So we were always with each other. If we were going to go to an area, we went as a team. It wasn't just one individual going over to Nolensville Pike and Haywood Lane by themselves. We all went, and we just worked together. And that's where it was a big transition from patrol, where you're used to working by yourself, doing your paperwork by yourself. Um, You would have somebody go with you to a call, but if it was your call, you did everything yourself. When you transition over to a, to that Flex team, it was a group effort. It was like, "Hey, we might have made this traffic stop, and things came from that traffic stop, but it was, "Hey, I'll go do the arrest report. My buddy on my team, he'll handle the incident report, and then another buddy will do the property sheet and just you know speed all the pro speed the whole process up, but work together and get the job completed
0: Sweet, yeah. Now, how did you target things? So when you went out, was it just uh, proactive? You'd just find something, just start like traffic stops, suspicious people, or did were you given like, hey, this week we're going to focus on because we got a crack problem or we got a dope problem or a street problem? I mean, how, how did you guys work those assignments? A little bit of both. Um,
2: the intelligence-based policing mindset was being implemented and coming to light with us at the time. So it wasn't just cast a net and see what we caught. It was, hey... We know these are issues. We know certain individuals are causing issues. Address those issues.
0: Well, that, that was good. At least it gives you a direction, right? So at least you you know you're not just out there driving around going, what do we do next? Right now you've got a good thing. So so um, when did the bug for detective, uh, was that a natural thing for you or how did that come about?
2: Transition from flex to that.
0: <laughs> so with those
2: targeted, um, I, I don't want to say targeted, but with those... Directed. Yeah. It directed policing through the intelligence gathering. Um, you know, how, what comes from that? You're catching somebody with narcotics on them. You're learning how to write search warrants. You're learning how to do seizures. You're learning how to actually take a, take a proactive event or arrest and build that into a case. So I kind of got my feet wet with that and learning things through trial and error. Had had a bunch of cases get dismissed because I made mistakes, but I learned from them. Um, and that was seen. Um, the The drive to learn all that was kind of seen and picked up to where I was then asked to go to our CSU team, which was our crime suppression unit at Midtown, uh, which in layman's terms was a plainclothes street-level narcotics unit at the precinct level. Uh, So that was like my first step into becoming a detective. Still a transition or a lateral move, not a promotion.
0: Um, What kind of shifts did you work?
2: So I went from... At that point, you know, working on flex on midnight, so I then got transferred over to CSU. And that was more of an afternoon-ish. Uh, we usually started around 10 o'clock, give or take, and was off by around six or seven, depending on uh, if somebody had to do, uh, if somebody's case made us stay late or anything like that. And that's when, that's when the shift changing, you know, on a day-to-day basis kind of came into play where I had to be a little bit more flexible with it, but it, that, that was a fun time.
0: So... Um because what we want to do is save some time to talk about obviously getting to March 27th, 2023. So, when did you, when, uh, how long did it take before you became a real full fledged, you know, shield carrying detective?
2: <laughs> Let's say 2013 to 20, 2018. So, about four and a half, five years.
0: I was going to help you with math. You were struggling with <laughs> for a minute. Hey, hey, I, 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 I just don't want to, mi- yeah, I don't want to misquote it. <laughs> All right. So, but that's, that's, is, is that a pretty fast track for, uh, Metro? It, it's it's average. Okay, it's average. So, what was your first assignment? What unit did you go into as a detective? Same thing, narcotics. Yes, or? Uh, street level narcotics. That's kind of been my role. What kind of what kind of problems? What kind of issues are you dealing with there in uh, Nashville Metro these days? What, what's the what's the scourge?
2: I'll tell you. So, <laughs> as time progressed with the department, I'm now a part of our. Uh, Special Investigations Division uh, with our Neighborhood Safety Unit, and now we we primarily focus on overdoses, whether it be retroactive or proactive. And I think uh, that goes to say we're having the same issues that I want that every city in uh, the United States is having with just opiate overdoses out just skyrocketing. Um, I remember when I came on the department, it wasn't heroin wasn't a big thing; it was there, but it's not like it is now. Heroin and fentanyl are just all over the place. Um, and that that's our major issue right now.
0: I'll tell you, living in Loudoun County, and I hate to mention it, Murph, because you and I talked about this when we had the kid that was arrested for the sexual assaults. Um, yep. Well, this, this new quote superintendent they got has been covering up poisonings of kids at the high schools. And it took Mike Chapman releasing a press release to, before the parents found out that kids were getting fentanyl in the high schools. They actually, on one girl, they had to use Narcan four times to revive her.
1: No shit. Uh, that just sounds so typical, Loudon. you know, thank God for Mike Chapman. he's re- and and uh, Mike, just so you know, Mike Chapman's a retired de agent who's the sheriff of Loudon County, Virginia. just
0: reelected for his uh fourth, fourth term, I believe. fourth
1: term. yeah, fantastic guy
0: but but he's but this has been a focus on fentanyl, like you said. I mean, everybody's getting hit with it out here. Um, nobody is immune, and most of these poisonings are happened from just somebody taking a quarter or a half of a pill. And I'm trying to tell people, I mean, um, I, I say I don't use the word overdose because overdose makes it seem like, well, hey, if I just use less of it or if I moderate, I'll be safe. It'll be okay. And it's like this this stuff, as you know, too, it's like one quarter of a pill laced with fentanyl, kill you dead. It doesn't take very much fentanyl to kill these people. Well, I
2: think one of the one of the issues that we also see is people just don't know what they're taking. Um, Bingo. We, we've seen that plenty of times where somebody goes to and, – and, and I'm not saying – them doing this is right or wrong. Every, everyone's going to do what they're going to do. But if somebody goes to buy, and I'm just throwing this out there and I'm not saying this is a true story in any way, but if a kid says they want to, I don't want to say kid loosely, um, college student says they want to go to a, a party, a rave party, and they want to go get some ecstasy to go to that rave party and they go and purchase it. There's a high probability right now. What they want to purchase is not what they got. Mm-hmm. And then they, they ultimately take the wrong substance and it, it, and that's what kills them.
0: That's like you said, it's everywhere. And, and you know the hardest thing I learned, I had to learn in law enforcement, especially as a trooper, the worst news you can ever give is to go knock on somebody's door at two o'clock in the morning. You're there in uniform and they know it's never good news. And you have to deliver the news that, hey, whether it was an accident, a shooting, a homicide, you know, whatever it was, that somebody has died. That 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 to me is one of the worst things I think I ever had to do. One week I had to deliver four death notifications. And it's like, you know, it just, people don't realize how that, just the impact that has, you know, when you got to deliver the worst news, a parent's probably ever going to get in their life. So on, on that note, let's move on to, <laughs> we don't want to go down too dark of a rabbit hole here. And, but the, point, yeah, I was going to
2: say, no, because that's another, like you said, though, that's a, another aspect that's forgotten in our, in our, in our, in our world, if you want to say that, or in this job, in this line of work, the, constant of having to make those notifications or go to these calls, I mean, that, that's not that's not talked about enough.
0: Right. And it's a mental health issue. I yeah. mean, there's a reason why suicide kills more cops than line of duty deaths does. By far and away, orders of magnitude at least three or four times more people commit suicide than die from uh, line of duty uh, each year. And I don't think, to your point, I don't think we talk about it enough. But that's a perfect setup for what we want to talk about here, because this gets into now... Um, let, let's start setting the stage for, uh, March 27th, 2023. And it's not that it has not been that long. It's only been eight months. Um, but let, let's talk about your day, right? So where were you working? What were you doing? Let's kind of start setting the stage for that day.
2: So I was, I was still at Midtown, uh, was still working, uh, at the precinct level. I had just started our shift. Uh, that was when, when I say just start our shift, we were at the office. Um, it was me. Sergeant Mathis, who was my supervisor for the, our team at the time, um, Detective Cagle, Detective Plessy, uh Detective Stratton, and uh, Detective Wagner, we were all in our office. Just, we had just started our shift. Um,
0: what, so- time did, what time do you guys start?
2: So again, it was kind of that flexible. We were on paper working at 10 o'clock to 6.30 at night, but it was nothing if we came in at 8 a.m. because somebody had something going on or we came in a little bit later to uh, rotate or to push our shift back because we had something later that night. But I want to say around on on that day, I think we all kind of trickled in the office around 9.30ish, but our shift was slotted to start at 10 that day. uh, And that's kind of around the time when all this kicked off. But we, we were all in the office. I want to say, you know, one or two had had some uh, administrative stuff they had to take care of, like getting things ready for court. I know Detective Wagner, um, who plays a big role in what happened that day. Um, he had he was going through a pilot program with our, our department with these uh, license plate readers, and he had the equipment on his car, and it, it was malfunctioning. It some issues technical issues were going on. So he ultimately was planning on going down to the garage to get it worked on when all that happened. Um, But, yeah, we were were just in the office. I mean, I think I was typing up an email. We had done a proffer uh, a couple days prior, and Detective Stratton, being new to our team, I was trying to help help him learn some things. Uh, Had asked Sergeant Mathis if I could send the notes from the proffer to him uh, to try to work on and was typing all that up. And the call went out on the radio.
0: So tell us about that. So, um, with where you're at and you said that was Midtown, right? Yes. Where, where is, how far away are you from covenant, uh, the covenant school? A couple of miles.
2: So Midtown precinct is located at a, and I know I'm saying this and people are going to be like, where, uh, it, it's kind of just on the outskirts of downtown, uh, on the outskirts of the Gulch area, so Twelfth Avenue South and Wedgewood is where Midtown Precinct's is located. Um, just a little bit outside of downtown, but far enough out that we were—you're able to get places a whole lot easier than dealing with the downtown traffic. We'll say, yeah, is that close to Berry Hill? Yes, yes. Okay.
0: And were you guys, was this considered like an offsite? Was this a, a an undercover location or was this a standard police location? That
2: standard police location. Um, okay. Police precinct just marked up Clear's day as a police precinct where anybody could walk in and out, file a report if they needed. And it's kind of where we were all, uh, if you want to say, housed at.
0: Okay. So, um, now when you say the call went out, so let, let's talk about that. You're sitting there and... You know, a lot of times there's this, did I hear what I just heard? So tell us about the call. How did the call come out? What did you hear where you were sitting at? So
2: for those that also don't know, with law enforcement, we have 10 codes that all mean certain things. We In our department, we also have 1,000 codes. The 1,000 codes are, are major incidences, whether it's a bomb, uh, whether it's a plane crash, a train derailment, uh, a riot. Um, one of them being a, uh, active, uh, active aggressor is what it's classified as, um, that, that thousand code went off on the radio. So radio sitting on the desk, um, radio goes off. We hear a certain chime. I think we all know, uh, you hear those bells go off on the radio. It gets everybody's attention with all of our precincts, with our eight precincts, every precinct has its own radio channel plus a countywide radio channel. So there's 10 channels that anybody can be on at any time. When that all airs is what we call it. When that chime goes off every, it takes all radio channels, stops all of it and dispatch takes it over and dispatch put out that 10 code or that thousand code, uh, for the active, sh- uh, the active aggressor. What uh, is
0: the thousand? What was the thousand code?
2: It's a 9,000. So each one, like a 2000 is a, uh, is a plane crash. I mean, I'll tell you these, these, big events rarely ever happen. Um, so when you hear them that you, you, you tone in, um, But when, when that thousand code went out, it was, uh, we heard it go, not, they, they put the 9,000 out, they put the address out, they gave the title of the school and that it was in Midtown. So, I mean, like every other officer, every other detective, every person within our agency that was on that radio that day. And that was working that day when they heard that go out and they heard the call text that was coming in, we just took off running. We, we ran Ran to our cars, jumped in our cars, and took off. So those, is all yeah. your
0: gear in the car, or do you have to grab some stuff with you on the way out? So
2: I, I primarily, uh, along with all the other detectives that were uh, with us that day, uh, we keep it all in the vehicle. Uh, usually, I'll bring my radio in just so we can monitor the radio while we're in the office doing some administrative stuff, and uh, that's kind of what happened that day. Heard it go out, grabbed the radio, and just took off running.
1: Now, when you say all officers respond, is are units that are working on uh, specific Beats or whatever you call them, zones Do they have to maintain certain Presence in those zones or does like the whole City converge?
2: I'll tell you on that Day um, there, there's, there's no I don't want to say there's no rules but it's Everyone's going What matters at that moment in time is Stopping the threat And stopping that from Continuing um, So you might, you might Be the closest officer but in A different precinct You know, we have, you know, each precinct has its border roads. Like we were making fun of Mercer Road earlier. Uh, That's one of our borders. That's the border between um, Midtown, Hermitage and South. So this call might be in Midtown, but a South officer might be closer. So again, all rules are off and everyone's going.
0: So uh, b- before we get before we go any farther, let's back up for just a minute and let's talk about this because, uh, and I know we had the advantage of talking to you and Rex down there, but let's talk about the training because a lot of times you train for stuff, right? Let's talk about what kind of training you received on active uh, situations. You call them active aggressors because it could be more than just a gun. It could be a vehicle. It could be a knife. And sorry, you're, he's sitting outside at a Starbucks. So. Yeah, I was going to say,
2: I apologize on that. Somebody with the oh. exhaust leak.
0: Hey, why don't you text us the location? Because if shots are fired, we want to be able to call. in. will I'll be okay. Okay. So, but let's talk about the training uh, you received prior to that, because I know we we know after Columbine, they started rethinking their you know uh, they started rethinking their strategies about going in. Right, it's no longer like, hey, we're going to wait and try to get people together. It's like. You go to war with what you have. So tell tell us about the training you received. So you remember that comment I made
2: at the beginning of this about how Metro just kind of stuck out to me. This was one of those that stuck out. The training um, Metro National Police Department emphasizes training as as mm, as best they can. I mean, they hold in house training as much as they can, um, and they 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 allow us to go wherever as long as it's a reputable company uh, to train, whether it's free or it, or we had to pay. There's a lot of allowances for officers to go to training. But um, it was, oh, I want to say the first time I got introduced to anything related to an active aggressor would have been around 2013, 2014. Our uh, SWAT guys um, started the program within our department, uh, seeing the need for it, like off of the uh, incidents that's happened in the past saw the need that this needs to be taught And they took it upon themselves to go to the department and say hey here's what we need to start implementing And those guys did a phenomenal job teaching to the entire department you're talking 30 40 guys and girls having to come and teach up close to, up to 1500 officers as quickly as possible and Sorry another card drove by um, trying to teach 1500 officers bare bones, if anything, how to address the situation if it came about. I mean, they they laid that foundation. And I'll tell you, when after the incident, I mean, I I called each one of them and spoke with them and just thanked them. I couldn't thank them enough for them laying that foundation towards us. Um,
0: Some of it's tactics, right? But some of it's mental too, right? So what's the difference? What, What kind of, what's the preparation for both for the tactics and as well as the mental part?
2: I mean, that's tough. I'll tell you they 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 brought up the mental side of it too when they taught us the tactical things and they told us like, hey, you know you have to do a self evaluation you have to you have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Can I one physically and mentally handle this and you know that was stressed to us, and I mean when they talked about it that that hit home uh, with me, and i I, I just felt like because of them laying that foundation, that's what helped out.
0: Well, the reason I bring that up, and this is going to factor in later, because uh, at this point, um, you're a father, uh, you've got one on the way, um, you've already got one child, right? And now you're going to a school shooting. And one of the things you got to prepare for, right, you have to know in your mind is that you may encounter, uh, if it's an active aggressor and shots are being fired, you're going to encounter potentially bodies.
2: Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Um... That, that had its. Uh, that, that, that had its. Um, I mean, it, I, I can tell I, I, I was as prepared as I could have been. Our department did a great job with that, prepping for situations like this, being proactive on the mental health aspect, but as much as you can prep somebody, you're never going to be fully prepared. It was tough, but the, the community, the family, the leadership, all of it is what's helped push through all that.
0: Yeah. Well, so let's, let's go back then and start, uh, start from that. Let's start the clock again and talk about you're, you're running to your car because the one thing I wanted to ask you about is we get a lot of this incident captured on body cams. And normally you don't think detectives are walking around with body cams stuffed on their shirt, right? So is this something that, um, department policy you had on your vest? Cause it looks like you threw on a vest too, right?
2: Yeah. So our, the way our policy is as a plain clothes, um, I don't want to say undercover. I want to say more of a covert. Um, we were authorized to Not wear a body cam if we're doing anything in a covert or undercover capacity. When our vest goes on, our body cam goes on. It's basically the easy way to say that.
1: I was going to say, I read also that you were a uh, SWAT paramedic. Is that right?
2: So I am one of our department medics. I went through the fire department, National Fire Department, uh, myself, and I want to say probably about 10 other uh, officers detectives have gone through it where we have now... Received our uh, EMT license and we're on the de- we're we're allowed to be EMTs on the department You know, we do our our helo stuff. We do the boat operations We do all of it as as the department medic.
0: So um, So let's talk about that now you're hopping into the car. What just just start, you know, take the story from there So you're running out you're hopping into the car. Obviously shit hits the fan, you know, and everybody's responding uh, Just take it from there
2: so ran to the car every everybody else in the office is running jump in and i mean it's just get there as quick as you can i mean i'm driving a little toyota camry at the time and it's a little hybrid and i just it, it couldn't go fast enough I remember,
0: I, yeah, I drove- you have lights or sirens?
2: Yeah, so I have two little lights in the front, or I did I, when I had that car, two little lights on the front, two little lights in the back, and a, a siren that anybody could barely hear, and I'm just laying on the horn whenever I could, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm flying as fast as I can to get there, along with every other officer in our department. Um, it, it'd almost be like if you sat on the top of a hill and you just look, you would just see a sea of blue lights and red lights just flying to this one point. It's the best way to describe it. But um, another officer actually got there before me, uh, Officer Gene Davis. Uh, he was our traffic officer at Midtown. But as we're going and I'm, we're, I'm trying to get there, got it typed into my GPS. I'm following the route that says this is the quickest way to get there. Um, I hear Officer Davis key up on the radio. I hear him say he's on scene. That entire time, though, while I'm driving, our dispatcher's Funnel in all that information from uh, the individuals that are inside the school that are calling. They're putting out as much information as they can over the radio. The radio silent outside of dispatch because you, you you want you're trying to collect as much as you can before getting there. Um, I hear Officer Davis get on scene, and you know my heart stops, my heart drops because I know he's there and he's by himself. But at the same time, we know that. The kids, the teachers, the employees of the school, people visiting the school, they're in there by themselves. So I know Officer Davis is doing what he can. Um, and all that's going in my mind is get there to him to help him help them. Um, just couldn't get there fast enough. I, uh, I remember at a certain point when I heard him key up, I looked at my phone and I grabbed I just grabbed it and I looked. And I was like, how far am I? I look and I'm like a mile out and I'm just, I, I'm pedaled to the metal. Uh, I remember smelling the brake fade, the burning of the brakes on this little Camry. Um, I'm like, nah, I mean, it is what it is. If, I, if my brakes go out, I'll, I'll roll up there. Uh, I sent a text to my wife because, you know, I hate to say we do get those false calls sometimes where, you know, a, a bank robbery where somebody tripped the alarm on accident, you get those. When this call happened and these calls came in, we knew this wasn't a fake call. We knew this was real. Um, I knew I was getting close and there's a high high probability I'll be the next officer to get to Davis. So I just sent a quick text while driving. Um, And I'm sorry I did that (laughs) policy-wise with our department, but I'll take that. Um, Because I wanted to get a message out to my wife. That's, you know how I said earlier too, like one of the regrets that I had, that's another regret. I didn't say what I should have said. What do you mean by that? I, I sent a message just saying we have an active shooter, and that's what I text her. Um, if things would ha- you want to say? I, I wanted to just say, just it, how hard was it for me to say I love you in that? If something were to happen, if this was the last message that my wife was going to receive, I'm upset with myself that I didn't say something different. That, that that's just that's just one of those things.
1: You had a lot on your freaking mind about that time. I, I, I've been in a lot of shootings. I never <laughs> – make sure the door's closed over here because my wife's in the house <laughs> while we're doing this recording. I never thought about giving her a call. You know, I don't, I don't know why. I guess I just get focused on one thing. I, it's hard to multitask sometimes. But You had a lot on your freaking mind there.
2: Yeah, just still, that, that, that that's going to go down as one of those.
1: That's probably your wife texting you right there.
2: <laughs> She's like, "I hear you talking about me." Yeah. <laughs> they always know. They always know. Yeah, they, they know.
0: <laughs> oh, hey, well, look, uh, but again, but that's that's something you, you're going to deal with later, because right? a lot of the, one of the things cops are good at doing, whether people like it or not, you got to have the ability to compartmentalize. hundred yeah, like, okay, I got to deal with it. Yeah, right. It, so it,
2: it, it's there, there's other people. I have to put my needs aside.
0: Hey, players, that is the end of Part 1. Part 2 comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.